Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Good morning, Lifehouse family. So good to see everybody here. So glad you're here, and I'm excited to preach God's Word today. Uh, Before we do that, though, I do want to just take a moment and just, again, welcome all of our first-time guests that are with us today. Lifehouse family, can we just one more time give it up for all those who are joining us today for the first time? Sincerely, so glad you're here. I would encourage you to come back out and check us out a couple more times. We have an incredible church family here. We would love love for you to get to know us. And uh, today, you are actually here. We are continuing our series that we've been in for a long time uh, that we are calling Jesus and. Everyone say Jesus and. Jesus and. We're we're, we're looking at the life of Jesus, which is kind of like, you're like, duh. Like, that's what, as a Christian, you're supposed to do. But I don't know if you've noticed, sometimes Christians don't do a good job acting like Jesus. Uh, So we thought, you know what, it might be a good idea for us to look at the life of Jesus and study it a little bit and look at how Jesus handled things. Look at how Jesus wasn't just a savior, wasn't just Lord of our lives, but Jesus is ultimately our example. He's the blueprint. He is the prototype. He is the model that we are called to model and follow in our lives because we love Jesus as Savior. We love the fact that he saves us from hell. He saves us from ourselves. He saves us from from sin. This is what Jesus is good at, and if you need saving today, Jesus wants wants for you to know him, wants to save you. Uh, Jesus is Lord. He's the person that we follow, that we submit to, that we give our lives to, but also, too, he's the example. And that's what we've been looking at over the, I don't know, 12, 14 weeks. Um, And today, we're going to continue looking at the model of Jesus. And really, the subject title today of the message is Jesus and Mission. Everyone say Jesus and Mission. Jesus and Mission, where we're going to look at the fact that Jesus was sent on mission by his father. Before that, though, how many of you know we live in a culture of comfort? Come on. Like, we are living in a culture. It's like, it's like our cultural hell is discomfort. Our cultural heaven is comfort. We are always looking for ways to be a little more comfortable. I mean, we can see this in so many realms, aspects, Right? Um, we've even created, you know, things like called comfort food. How many of you, you are willing to share your comfort food? What is it? Ice cream. Come on, we, this is the food section over here. So if y'all looking to go somewhere after church, go out to eat with someone after church, you want to go on this side because all the ice cream, seafood, it's all coming from this side right here. Somebody else, tell me your comfort food. Mac and cheese, I heard mac and cheese, heard heard chocolate chip cookies. Someone said everything. See, that's how they're on that seafood diet. They seafood and eat it, right? Like, 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 like Like, we've even created food centered around comfort. We want our houses to be spaces and places where it's comfortable. We want to create comfortable environments, you know, and, and, and really you have to actually look at, though, is this making us better? The, the, the more we seek comfort, is it giving us more purpose? As we seek comfort, is it making us better human beings? As we seek comfort, because it's crazy even how the human body works to where the human body actually starts to degenerate depending on the amount of comfort it has. Where, where you, you look at bones don't grow unless they're torn. 
Muscles don't grow unless they're torn. Immune systems are not strengthened unless they're challenged. Even in our DNA, we are not built for comfort. We are in some ways built for a measure of discomfort. So we have to realize the cultural, and and this is what I call the culture. The culture is like a crockpot that we all get put into. And what a crockpot does is a crockpot doesn't cook things quickly. It kind of like cooks things very slowly, right? To, and, and then it, it kind of like the juices and the moisture starts to shape and change what you put in there. And what you have to realize as a follower of Jesus is you are put into a cultural crockpot that is trying to shape you and form you into its way. Where you have to know the United States, American goal is to take you from a state of discomfort to a state of comfort. That's the cultural crockpot you're in. So now you relate that to what Jesus and the kingdom of God, what that is trying to form you and shape you to be and shape you to do, right? Because the kingdom is sometimes, many times, contrary to what the culture is telling you and saying you should do. The kingdom is vehemently against it. So the person that came and shared and showed who Jesus or who God is, what the kingdom of God is like, is Jesus. That's why we're saying, did you know Jesus was the first disciple? He followed his father. He followed. He said, I do what I, what I see my father doing. I, I say what my father tells me to, to say. Jesus followed his father in the same way as Jesus had followers. Jesus was simply following his father and his followers of Jesus. That's, that, 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 that's how this whole train goes, right? It's where we are following him. And so as we see the cultural crockpot wherein versus the kingdom mandate and kingdom call of being like Jesus, you actually see Jesus' life was very different than the whole comfort or rather than the whole discomfort to comfort. Do you understand what Jesus left to come to earth? Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus came to earth from heaven? What a letdown. I mean, if there was ever a major letdown, you at the right hand of the Father, joy, peace, perfection, surrounded by seraphim, surrounded by people crying, holy, holy, holy. And then you, your Father then tells you, I'm sending you on a mission to go, not to some other heaven, but to go to earth. What? But, but this is important for us to see as Jesus is the example. Jesus' life did not go from discomfort to comfort. It went from comfort to discomfort. And you have to know that this is sort of the way the kingdom works and the way following Jesus works. And this is so important in a culture of comfort. You have to understand that if you're going to walk in the way of Jesus in the kingdom of God, you cannot just be a creature of comfort. Because how many things grow in comfort? Not a lot. Comfort normally comes outside of your, what we've called the comfort zone. And many of you, you have been a Christian for 20 years, but you haven't seen growth because you always stay inside your comfort zone. You never want to do anything outside. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, that's not my personality. Well, and, and it's like, and the Spirit is inviting you to say growth is found, not inside what you feel comfortable and plausible. And it's like, you've got to get outside a little bit. 
Okay, but, but, but this is what I'm contrasting today and what my heart is for you and our church today is that we would see Jesus went from comfort to discomfort, but it wasn't because he was sadistic and wanting discomfort. He was doing that because he was sent. Everyone say sent. Sent by his father. There's a situation, John chapter 20, where Jesus resurrects, right? You know, if you know anything uh, um, about the Bible, if you don't, it's cool. Welcome here. Like, there's part in the New Testament called the Gospels, which simply means like the good news. And there's four different Gospels. It's called, you know, they're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's basically four biographies of Jesus that are written from different perspectives with different audiences. And, and that, like there's this one perspective from his best friend, John, that, that, that the book is called the book of John. And he shares this one part of, of his testimony, of his story, after Jesus' resurrection. So, you know, Jesus came, he lived, a perfect life. He died on the cross, but he didn't just stay dead. He rose from the dead, which is what makes Christianity and Jesus unique, is that our God isn't dead. He is alive. And this is what makes him unique and what makes him followable and what, what makes him him. But you see, after he rose from the dead, you know how Jesus had 12 disciples, right? So Jesus had these followers that saw him die Heard he, had res- heard, heard he had resurrected, but then because they were scared of the Jewish leaders and scared of people because they knew that, the, that they were his followers, they actually went and hid behind some closed doors. We're going to pick up the story here in John chapter 20 of the disciples and Jesus appearing to these disciples after he had risen from the dead. This is what it says. It says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. I just want to pause right there because I just love how Jesus comes on the scene. And there's probably a lot of anxiety and fear and all that stuff. And instead of saying, duh, it's me, he says, hey, guys, look, it really is me. Because I believe some of them were doubting. Even the story right after this when Thomas the doubter comes in. He says, I don't believe Jesus was here unless I see his hands and see his side. And Jesus, you know what he did with him? He didn't be like Judas or he didn't be like Thomas, you big idiot. It's me. No, he's, he showed him. Jesus is, is gracious for those that doubt. He's gracious with those that doubt. And if you doubt today, just want to let you know, God's not scared of that. He welcomes those. But be ready because if you have doubts and he shows you and he puts those doubts to the side, you better be, be ready to fall to your knees and worship him and follow him. Okay? But then he says this here. So they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. Then he just jumps into this. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I am doing what? Sending you. Then he breathed on them. I hope he had good breath mints that day. I don't know what old Jewish culture had for their breath. But if he breathed the Holy Spirit, that had to be a powerful breath. How many of you have been at the altar being prayed for and someone hasn't had a breath mint? And you're like, Lord, I love you, but this man's breath is about to knock me over. Like someone is knocked down. You think it's the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's the power of your stanky breath. You know? Got to make sure all the altar workers here, make sure y'all be getting them lifesavers, okay? Make sure we don't... We don't want anyone's experience of the Spirit of God to be bad breath, right? But said he breathed on them. <laughs> he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I think it's important we focus on these words that Jesus told his disciples as I was sent. 
I am sending you. That's the word that I really want to focus on today is sent. Because I think we live in a crisis of Christians who don't view themselves as being sent. And because of that, we have the crisis we have in the church. Where unfortunately there has been this whole chasm created to where people unfortunately can think, hey John, that's why we pay you. You're the, you're the one that, that, that does the sharing stuff. You're, you're the sent one. Or we say the prophet or the evangelist or the apostles, <coughs> missionaries. You, you guys are the sent ones, and we actually push away the very call we were given by Jesus. And so we have a church full of people that go to church but never realize that they were actually called and, and called and sent to go and be the church. And this is what I am attacking today. Because Lifehouse, individually and corporately, the church at large, will never see its full potential. You know, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't be able to stand up against it. The church is meant to win, y'all. Church is meant to be victorious. That does not mean a lot of people. That does not mean winning according to what the United States corporate cultural standards say. It means according to what Jesus said. But what my heart is today is to realize you have been sent. And when, when I mean sent is that you, as Jesus went and proclaimed the gospel, proclaimed the good news, lived it, he, he did what Jesus did, is that you would see this is your call as well. That you are actually called to share your faith. You are called to actually share the gospel. Is there anything, though, as a Christian, more scary than the E word? Not the F word, the E word, evangelism. I mean, honestly, some Christians that have been in church their whole life, they're like, e -e -e, like they sound like me talking regularly, right? E -e evangelism, like sharing my faith, like that's... I mean, I, I mean, I've been saved 24 years. I'm a pastor, and, and I even get sweaty palms thinking about, like, bringing up moments and bringing up opportunities with people and sharing the gospel with them. Yeah, there's a pilot, right. But, 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 but here's what I'm saying. I mean, even when you look at stats, stats show, and, and this is tracked by, by corporations that actually monitor. They, they go and do surveys. Like, less than 10% of Christians share the gospel with one person every year. 10%. 10%. And, and because, I mean, let's just think of what is under that. Because I don't think you are like, that's right, I don't want to do it. I think, honestly, most Jesus followers are like, I, I will have the heart to share my faith, but honestly, I'm afraid. I want to share my faith, but I don't feel smart enough. I want to share my faith, but honestly, I have no idea what to say. I want to share my faith, but what are people going to... Right? We have all of these underlying feelings that can prevent us from being people that share our faith. I mean, I mean and, and, and really, that's, that's what I'm saying. Is, is like this concept of being sent is what Jesus said. And what are, what are we sent with? We're sent, like Jesus sent them with the great commission, Matthew 28. That's what Jesus said. He said, then Jesus came to them, the disciples, and said, hey, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Everyone say go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you all to the very end of the age. And, and Jesus was, was saying, like, like, go. Like, go and make disciples, share the good news. And as you go, don't forget, I'm with you. Teach them what I've taught you. 
baptize them. And this is what the cycle will be. But if we're honest, we're scared to death to do this. And the church thinks that evangelism is only for a select few. When Jesus was not telling this to only those who had the gift of evangelism, he was telling this to his followers. You are a disciple. If you follow Jesus, you are a disciple. And your call as a disciple is to follow Jesus and then make disciples. Now, y'all are like, hey, John, that's a great vision, great plan. Love Jesus, love his vision. That's great, but I'm scared to death. I have no idea what to do, what to say. I feel inadequate. But I just, you know, I, I, I want to give you today five shifts. Like, like five shifts to how we become a sent church. To how you become a sent. Because I, I really believe the desire is there. The heart is there. It's just there needs to be some shifts. How many of you have ever gotten a chiropractic appointment? And they go in there and that chiropractic chiropractor just and you you get some shifts and you're like wow I can think now that's what I pray happens in your spirit as I talk about sharing your faith that there will be some shifts that happen some pressure to come off some reliance on the Holy Spirit some confidence and some boldness that we realize we are called to be a sent church but let me tell you the two things that will keep us from being a sent church ready number one it is, it is that we view our lives as being sentenced. What do I mean by that? It's like, I think we have this, this kind of undercurrent of our consciousness of how we ultimately view life, that we live from, that maybe we do know or we even don't know. But I pray even as I talk about them, maybe you'll kind of be like, you know what, maybe that kind of is me. These, 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 these two ways of living will keep us from living sent. The first one is we live sent, sentenced, meaning you are literally trying to just endure your life. You are like the Monday to Friday, can I get to the weekend person. It's like I got to endure 40 hours of people I hate, a job I hate, so I can get to Friday and Saturday, so I can drink a beer, cut my grass, and have a day of peace, right? Like, and, and it's, it's kind of set up to where you are just enduring your life, to where you just endure a job you don't like, endure a spouse maybe you don't like, but it, your whole life is like survival, and you feel sentenced. It's someone's like, like kind of God in his cosmic lottery sentenced you to the life you have. And you might not say it, but it is this survival mentality that you sprinkle in a little bit of Jesus in church because it makes you feel good. Like that's part of the survival. <laughs> is let me come on Sundays, let me get, let me sprinkle in a little bit of Jesus. And that is one way of living that honestly the American culture will cultivate you to live. Survive, get by, endure. Ah. And then you hear great commission. And you're like, great. Now I got to try to share something I partly believe in. Right? This is the way a lot of U.S. Christians live, is they endure. And it's not that, it, it, that there isn't truth in enduring, because a lot of life we do have to endure. Let's just be honest. But there's a way that we can do it that gives it purpose. Because some of you are trying to find purpose in your job, and if you're trying to find purpose in these things that were, never, that were never meant to give you soul purpose. That's a reason why you are enduring. 
is because you're going to a source that can't fulfill. You say, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough this, I don't have enough that. Well, those things were not meant to fill a space and peace in your soul that only God could. So you're trying to feed off of something that will never fill you. I've said this story many times, but back, back during COVID, when church shut down, first few years of our church, I built my identity on how many people were showing up, the numbers, how many this, how many that, and when no one showed up, it was like my whole self-esteem went down the drain until the Lord said, uh, you know, the whole like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I felt like the Lord was my shepherd, but I had a lot of want. But then I realized my shepherd was not the Lord, the shepherd was church growth culture. I was like, how many, how many, how many? And it was like the Lord said, John, you love me, but I'm not your shepherd. You can love, like you can love God, but not let him shepherd you. What shepherds you will fill you. Or excuse me, what shepherds you will, fit, will feed you. And what feeds you will either fill you or leave you wanting more. Exactly what McDonald's does. You eat that joint, spikes your blood sugar really high. Three hours later, you're like, where's that quarter pounder with cheese again, right? You're like, because it's not satiating, it only makes you more hungry. It's not meant to satiate, it's meant to cultivate more hunger. This is what lust is. At, the, at its core, lust promises to fulfill, but always leaves you wanting more. That's the lie of lust. It's what the devil does. Like, hey, get it. Hey, you just need a little bit of this, then you'll be happy. And you get a little bit of it, and you're like, I want more. Then it just ends up becoming more toxic and more jacked up and more messed up. Then you find yourself in a place of, you were like, I just want to be free. And now the very thing you wanted freedom to do, now you're bound to it. This is kind of how things work. But, in, like, if, if, what was I talking about? I, I, like, I literally, it's like I went to grab my thought and it left off. It's just like, talking about being sentenced, yes. But I thought there was somewhere that I was going, and I don't remember. I'm so sorry. If it's your first time here, this doesn't happen all the time. But I'm literally <coughs> sentenced. Yes. So, so you were, you, you, you know, some of we live life sentenced. That, that's kind of one way you just endure. But the second way that can keep us from the Great Commission and from being sent is, is, is the way that I deem it. It's called the life of summertime where you are so persistent in living a life of perpetual summertime of fun and pleasure that that becomes the way you make choices and decisions is how much fun and pleasure and comfort am I going to get from this? And you talk about the United States dream. This is the United States dream. Is to how can you cultivate a life of perpetual summertime? This is what all of the, the online influencers are doing. Their bodies look good. They work whenever they want. I work four hours a week and make a hundred grand. Don't you want to do what I do? You know, it's like that's all, like, it's just like summertime. How many times can you travel? Where, where can you go? How much fun? How much food? How much, uh, you know, it's just like, it says how much can you, and, and, it's, and it's like, listen, there's nothing wrong with some summertime, but a life of summertime is in opposition to what the kingdom of God and what Jesus wants. You need seasons of summer. Even Jesus had seasons of chilling and resting and, and, and being restored and renewed. That's important. But don't disqualify the purpose of work. Work was in God's will and God's plan before sin happened. This is why so many people, they, they retire and they're miserable. Because they were told, live 50 years, endure your job, retire. Woo! Couple million, travel. But then they end up hating their lives because their purpose was tied to their work. 
which isn't a bad thing. That's kind of how God wired us is to have purpose. But this life of perpetual summertime will keep you. You have sentenced and summertime are two of the opposites. But what I believe that, 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 that Jesus modeled and Jesus lived was of life of being sent on mission for Jesus, by Jesus. I'll give you five shifts. How do we shift? Because I, I believe we need some shifts today. How do we get here? And when I, like I said, when I say sent, I'm talking about sharing the gospel, I'm talking about evangelizing, I'm talking about sharing your faith. And I'm not just talking to you who've been saved for 20 years. I'm talking to you who've been saved for 20 minutes, 20 weeks. Because sharing, it's crazy how sharing our faith has, we can just have, well, I can't share my faith because I don't know enough. Y'all, we've, we've, we've got to make some shifts. I talk to you about five of them. First off, we've got to shift from gifting to calling. What do I mean by this? The church has become enamored with gifts and calls. I mean, you'll say, you are called. You have no idea what that means. The person you're saying to has no idea what it, what it means. It's like, you're called to pick up trash. You know, it's like, you're called, you're called, you're called. You've got a gift, you've got a gift. And, 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 and what, what I see is, is that people think you need a special gift from God to tell people about the gospel, to evangelize, to share your faith, to do those sorts of things. Instead of realizing it is not a gift for a special few, it is a call for every disciple of Jesus. It is a call. We've got to get away from, well, that's what pastors do. That's what evangelists do. That's what apostles do. That's what Pastor John does. That's what teachers do. They do that kind of thing. I'm just a beggar. Chill. It's like, it's like no, the reason, no, Jesus did not say to the, the Great Commission to, a, to, to just a few of his followers. He said, as disciples, you become, dis- you, you're, you're, you're saying, how can I make more disciples? So we, the first shift's got to be from gifting to calling. You've got to realize you are called to this. Like, you're called to this. As a follower of Jesus, you are called to this. See, your first call isn't to something. Your first call is to somebody. This word calling is so important, but if you get the calls mixed up, because here's the thing, even some people in ministry will put their call to something in ministry before their call to someone named Jesus. And this is where people get messed up. This is where people put their gift in front of their call. Like they will have a gift to minister, a gift in music, a gift in something, but, but, but they'll operate so much in their gift, not realizing the gift is a byproduct of the call. So we've got to make sure that we know calling is first. We are all called to share our faith. Okay? Secondly, the second shift is from personal pressure to godly burden. Yeah, obviously, how many people I've talked to that they just feel this pressure to evangelize, this pressure to share their faith, this pressure to get their family saved, their pressure to get their coworkers saved. It's like just this self-imposed pressure, and this pressure constricts them from actually feeling a godly burden. And there's a big difference. Personal pressure is self-imposed and will create an "I have to" heart, but see, a godly burden is spirit-inspired and creates an "I can't help it" heart. Like I said, some of, you know, all of us know it's like you should share, share, share your faith, share the gospel. But I believe that, that if, if we have just, say, personal willpower or personal pressure, like I know I should, and, and then you get caught up in, 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 you know, in yourself, and you start to just see all of your deficiencies, and you start to see all this knowledge you don't have, in, instead of like God, instead of getting wrapped up in you, what if you got, up in a God, got, got wrapped up in a godly burden for people and and and, and i want to explain that so jesus in matthew chap, chapter 9 this is after he was out preaching 
It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. It says, when he saw, everyone say saw. When he saw the crowds, he had what? Compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I love how it says Jesus saw and that led him to compassion. Y'all, I believe one of the biggest issues we have and the reason why we have a pressure instead of a godly burden is because we don't see with eyes that God has. We don't, like, we have vision, but we don't see. We see people, but we don't see the brokenness. We see people, but we don't see the separation. We see people, but we don't see beyond just their physical presence into their spirits. Scripture says we walk by faith, not by sight. And the most important fact where this can go is with people. Because some people, if you just see them with your sight, you will see what they do and not the brokenness behind what they do. Some, some of you, you are having issues in your marriage right now because you are not seeing your spouse through God's eyes. You're seeing your spouse through your own eyes. And you are treating her according to what you see instead of a, treating her according to what God says. And the only way you're going to treat her according to what God says if you see the way that God sees. Wives, you can look at your husbands. You know, I wish he was more willing to lead in the home. I wish he was, had more gumption. Anyone? Gumption. It's the best word you could come up with, John. Gumption. Like passion. I wish he was, he was more godly. I wish he'd lead in the home. I wish he would all of, of this stuff. And, and you're seeing him for who he is instead of seeing him with God's eyes and who he could be. Wives, that's one of the most powerful tools you have. And one of the most godly things you need is to see your husband through the eyes of God and what he can be, and maybe instead of who he is right now. And, that, and, I, and I'm just speaking from a man's perspective here. Men are not changed by nagging or pointing out our issues. That does not mean you don't speak truth. You need discernment. But men... Or men grow by whenever you're noticing and catching them for doing something good instead of just always catching them for doing something bad. And watering those green parts instead of always focusing on those parts that might look a little dry. But that will only happen if you see with God's eyes. You have people at your job you can't stand, and the reason you can't stand them is because you're seeing them through your eyes. When you need to say, God, give me your eyes to see them the way you see them. Your children, they annoy the heck out of you. And you're like, God, change them. I just wish you'd change them. Oh, why did stop doing this? You're just all frustrated. You're frustrated because you're seeing them with eyes of physical instead of eyes of faith. You are the parents. You are the main prophesier over your children. I'm serious. Because I know as parents, like parenting is a blessing and a burden. Biggest blessing in your life, but the biggest burden. I'm, I'm in it. I got three boys, 12, 9, and 7. Jesus. But parents, your words have power. But your words will be connected to your eyes. Your words will be connected to what you see. And I know you might see a hyperactive demon <laughs> with your physical eyes. But my prayer today is that you would start seeing them with eyes that God sees them with.
and that you would start speaking over them blessing and praying over them and speaking the blessing of God over them. That will only happen if, if you say, God, let me see with your eyes. There's people that God has called you to reach that you are not seeing them as needing to be reached, not because you don't have a desire, it's because you're seeing them through the eyes of the physical instead of the eyes of the spirit. It's a supernatural thing, y'all. He changes our sight. That's what when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion. And that word compassion means like from the depth of his being because he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Y'all, the only way we're gonna have a heart to actually evangelize and share our faith is if we see with eyes that give us a heart of compassion to see people as being harassed and helpless. And that will compel us. It starts with your eyes. We're gonna pray, we're gonna stop. We're just gonna pray a little prayer right now. It's a prayer, it's right on the screen behind me. I just want us to pray this together. Like, I, I'm going to take like five seconds of this like silence, and I just want us to just pray this for us. Just say this, God, give me eyes to see what you see. Say, God, help me to see people the way that you see people. Let's pray one more time. Say, God, give me eyes to see what you see. Help me to see people the way you see people. Amen. Let me tell you why this is so important. Because if you don't see them the way that God sees them, you'll see them the way the world sees them. And the way the world sees them is is they're always divided. Republican, Democrat. Like, it's crazy to see how even some Jesus followers hate the opposite person on their political party. Just, it angers me. Like when we start laboring people by secondary labels. Image of God, y'all. These people you're saying wokesters, these people you're saying Trumpers, these people you're saying all of these names that have a lot of inherent meaning behind them, that are actually insulting, y'all, this is the very thing the devil wants, is to where your filter, first off, is Trumpster, Wokester, Democrat, like, because then how can you have a heart to reach them when that is your filter in how you're labeling them? Y'all, we've got to see, like, made in the image of God. That's the first filter. Found or lost, that's the second filter. We need eyes to see, y'all. We need eyes to see. God, give us eyes to see. The third shift we have to do is from convincing to declaring. It's crazy how many of y'all, me, I've, I've been here preach for 35 minutes, y'all. I'm barely even done. Jesus, God help us. Um, it's crazy how many of us think we can convince anybody into following Jesus. I just want to remind y'all, Jesus, even there were some people Jesus didn't even convince. He was right there in front of them. Shared truth, miracles, healings, rose from the dead, and some people didn't believe it. 
I'm not saying you should not be informed. I'm not saying you shouldn't be educated. I'm not saying having my knowledge is good. I'm not saying being good at apologetics isn't, isn't like, I'm not saying none of that's bad, but you gotta be careful to know you ain't good enough to convince anybody into being a follower of Jesus. You can persuade. Persuade's different than convince. Persuade is you can have influence. But I have just found that in our culture, we have to go from convincing to declaring. And they're very different. Declaring is simply sharing what God has done. People can try to convince you that this isn't true all day. But it's very hard to con- for someone to convince you of the experience you know, you know you've had with Jesus. They might be able to disprove or whatever excuses with this. But a personal life, a personal testimony of someone saying, I was ridden with anxiety, distress, and worry, and I started to follow Jesus. And he started to talk about things like, don't worry about tomorrow, because he's a good father in, in heaven that knows what I need. And he said to, and he even prayed, give us today our daily bread. Now, and I've just been kind of focusing on, on today. And it's helped me see things differently. Isn't that powerful? Like, isn't that what people need to hear? <laughs> but it, it, it's happens with us all, like when we go from trying to be convincers to declarers. First Peter chapter 2, which this book was written to a group of churches who were under intense persecution, y'all. Like, we think we're under persecution. Like, these, like, these, like, there were Christians getting put up on stakes and burned. They were getting blamed for city fires. So people were, like, against them. And Peter is writing them a letter to remind them of some things. He's like, hey, just remember who you are. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, just, j- just as we sang this morning, right? You're God's special possession that you may do what? Declare. Just sharing, declaring. The praises of him who called you out of darkness into his, into his wonderful light. First Peter chapter three, a, a chapter later, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the 10 theological laws of the Bible. No, it's, a, it's like always just, you know, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the, the reason for the hope that you have. Is, is, I mean, if, if somebody asked you, why do you follow Jesus? What would you say? And what I would implore you to do is instead of maybe trying, instead of learning the Romans road, maybe learn to answer this question first. Deep down, why do you follow Jesus? What, what, do, what hope does it give you? And then I love how he throws in there, hey, when you do this, do this with some gentleness and respect. Wouldn't that be a new qualities for Christians? <laughs> gentleness and respect. Oh, what a concept. Because he, he's saying when you declare the reason for the hope you have, like if, if someone asks you, why do you follow, why do you follow Jesus? I mean, good Lord, it's, it's, it's like, uh, you know, probably something that I would say is like, the reason I follow Jesus is he saved me from myself. I have a bend towards self-destruction where I will take a good thing and make it a God thing. And I will want to find my identity and my worth and my purpose in something that can't fulfill me. And I have found that as I put my faith and trust 
in Jesus. As I focus on him and I learn and train, there's our word, we train, right? Train to follow him. I find life is more livable. I find a peace inside of myself. I find a joy. I find a love for others that I know (laughs) in myself is not normal. And he gives me the ability to take things and not use them for what they were not intended for, but to use them for their God-given purpose. You know, like, it's, it's just, you might need to discover that question this week. Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you have hope? Because I'm, I'm telling you, what he's saying here is that as you live in a certain way, people going to ask you. That's one of the things. Is you go to your job and you're like loving and joyful and patient and kind and gentle and self-controlled and faithful and you're all of those things, inevitably there's going to be some people like, what's up, bro? You different. You different. And you're going to have opportunities to declare. Let me give you a few opportunities of what this would look like. When somebody asks you, how are you, how are you doing? Opportunity to declare. Now let me tell you what church people do. Church people will start to declare some crazy stuff. Like, how are you doing? I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed going out. I'm blessed in the storehouse. I'm blessed in my basket. These blessings going to chase me down. They're going to trip me up because I'm a child of God. And it's, that, that, Jen, that's crazy. Like, that, that's not the kind of declaring. I'm, I'm, I'm blessed and favored, highly favored. Because if you're trying to declare that way to people that don't know Jesus and don't know church lingo, you're not going to attract, you're going to repel. <laughs> are, are y'all hear what I'm saying? Like, like, how are you doing? I mean, it could, but, but honestly, it's, it's like you're, 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 you're just declaring. You're not trying to convince. You're just sharing what Jesus has done. Like, I'm actually doing great today. Because I, I had just a great time in prayer this morning. I was reminded who God is and who I am, and I've just got a peace that I, that I just can't describe. Oh. <laughs> that might prompt silence or awkwardness, or that might be a seed that somebody, when they don't have peace, maybe they'll come to you and ask you about that peace. It's declaring. It's not convincing. It's just declaring. Someone might ask you, what did you do this weekend? These are all questions that, that you'll have at work. Maybe it was, you know, my church, we, 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 do, we do something called For Our Cities Weekend, where we basically go out and serve the community, and we went out and built kids for, built beds for kids that don't have beds. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, that's an opportunity to declare. Really? Well, I went out and got hammered and slept with someone I don't know, so that's a little different, you know, like, <laughs> but... <laughs> But do you see how they can be different? Do you see how that could be an opportunity to declare? Then that could be maybe, hey, do you, do you want to come out? Like, and then that could maybe spur the next time we do something like, hey, do you want to come out and serve with us? One of the most powerful forms of, of sharing your faith is inviting somebody to come and serve with you in the community. Like even with this For Our Cities weekend, not only am I imploring and asking you to come and serve our city, I'm asking you to maybe invite one or two friends to come and serve with us that don't know Jesus. Well, John, we're doing church work. We're building beds. You don't need to be a Christian to build a bed for a kid that doesn't have one. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> like, 
We're for the common good. But, our, if, you know, but, but then, like, maybe it could just be, you just go up to somebody and you say, hey, can I share with you what God has doing, done in my life? Y'all, I, I'm, I'm trying to help y'all practically to get this pressure off, to work this into your normal everyday life. That you don't have to be three spiritual laws, this, that, and the other thing. You can just declare, y'all. Just declare the goodness of God. Does that make sense? Next one, I'm sorry, is a powerful statement. I'm sorry is a powerful declaration where you just owning up and saying you're sorry is one of the best examples you can have of being a follower of Jesus, especially especially with your children and your coworkers. Because what does that show? It shows humility. It shows an identification that you're not perfect. It shows, yeah, I messed up. Okay, the fourth one. The fourth shift is we need to go from a one-size-fits-all mentality to a spirit-led discernment. So let me say, because like, here's the thing, we have been taught evangelism as a sales pitch. <laughs> like, I'm, I remember one time being at Walmart buying some bread. Someone comes up to me, hey, if you die tonight, we will just spend eternity. Brother, I'm just trying to decide between wheat and white, okay? <laughs> like, I didn't feel any connection. But I know what he was probably doing is a pitch he learned. Right? Nothing wrong with pitches. I believe they can be a good step into this spirit-led discernment. But sales pitches are not sensitive to what people need. Okay? People are at different places, with different circumstances, with different situations, with different needs. And I know you don't know everyone's need, but let me tell you who does know it's the Holy Spirit. Whom Jesus said, I'm sending you, and as I'm sending you, I'm breathing on you so you can have the Holy Spirit. He said, you ain't going to do this thing by yourself. You're going to have my spirit, which knows all inside of you. We need to shift from a sales pitch to a spirit-led discernment. Because what this will do is this will make us build a relationship with the spirit. And help us listen. See, because it's so funny how we can, isn't it true? It's like, God, is this you or is this me? And you're like, Lord, I feel like I should go and tell them about you. Or just declare something. But is it you? I'm like, yeah, it probably is the spirit of God, buddy. <laughs> you know, like, if, if, if it's kind, if it's loving, if, if, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you even look at what the Holy Spirit, like the fruits of the Holy Spirit, is, if, is it loving, kind, patient, Gentle, self-controlled, encouraged. Like, if it's these things, I, I, I think instead of going back and forth, is it you or is it the Holy Spirit, the only way you'll find out is if you do it. And some of you, you have felt this. You felt these impressions. You have felt these kind of like things of, I should go tell that person this, or I should give this person that, or I should send this person this text message, or I should do this. And you've done so much back and forth that, that I'm telling you today, be free to obey. Listen to it. Act on it, because you won't know if it's God unless you do it. But let me tell you this. Even if you do it and you don't feel like it was the right thing, remember this. What do we say at Lifehouse? We're training, not trying. Involved in training is failure. Did you see the disciples? Peter talks out loud. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Like, there was a lot of failure involved in the disciples' training. Like, it's, guys, like, we're, just, do y'all hear my heart? Like, just. Do it. If you feel an impression, do it. Say it. Give it. 
but, but also, too, no, here's, here's the thing. I think we're scared to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will ask us to do things that are uncomfortable. Because the Spirit might ask you to ask someone if you can pray for them. I love somebody in our church that's going through a really hard time, like a really trying personal kind of like sickness time. And just to hear the stories of them, they're going to doctor's visits, and they're going to doctor's visits praying over doctors. They're going into doctor's visits, and, 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 and they're getting words from, 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 from the Lord for the nurses and for the doctors, and they're in there, and they're speaking over them and praying over them. And, and there's, you know what I'm saying? And it's, 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 it's there, there's such power in just asking, can you pray for somebody? Even maybe after church, so you're going to go out to eat somewhere. And if you have a waiter or waitress, one of the most powerful things, hey, before we pray for our food today, is there anything that you have prayer for, anything that you need prayer for? It's simple. I remember one time, me and the Goodriches, we were out to eat at Red Robins. Great burger, by the, by the way. I'm thinking about it. I'm, at, I'm really hungry. Might get one after church. But anyway, uh, the waitress came up. We were, we were about ready to pray. We said, hey, we're about ready to pray. Is there anything that you need prayer for? And she literally, right as we said that, after like two seconds, she just started to break down. And she said, just yesterday, my husband told me he wanted a divorce. And we've got two children. And I'm really nervous and scared about what we're going to do. Girl, let's pray. She prayed for us right there. And she just thanked us. And I mean, it was like, but you know what? Well, like, that's a seed that I don't know where that's going to go. But here's the thing. God is the one, like God's the one that makes things grow. You could be the seed, you could be the water, you could be the sunlight. Whatever part you play, the ultimate thing is that God makes them grow. But here's the thing, you might not be the one reaping, but you might be the one planting the seed. You might not be the one reaping the harvest, but you might be the one giving some sunlight to make that seed grow. We need spirit-led discernment. Some other tips that the Lord might lead you to do, that the spirit might lead you to do. He might ask you to ask someone to come over for dinner, for lunch, for food. Do you know a lot of what Jesus did ministry-wise was around food? Brother was a non-discriminatory eater. That brother would eat with Pharisees, sinners, tax collectors. If there was food, he was there. I want to be more like Jesus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I want to be more like Jesus. I want to eat with everybody. Food. One of the most powerful ways you can reach out to people is food. Invite them over for a, a meal. If you're praying for us, like you got someone on, on your heart, a friend, a family, invite them over for a meal. Ooh, maybe the Holy Spirit will say, send a text message with a scripture to somebody. Parents, I want to encourage you to do this. You might have children that are old, grown up. You're concerned about them. They don't, they don't know Jesus. You know what you can always do? Shoot them a text message. Just shoot them a quick prayer and a, and a verse. I had a grown man, I'm 45 years old, sitting with him, and he, and he was running from Jesus, and he was sitting there, and he was telling me, my mom, for years, always sent me a prayer and a, and a scripture verse. Thought it was the most annoying thing ever, but then he started to follow Jesus. Every text could be a seed, y'all. I don't care how young your kids are, 10, 12, 8, 9, 12, whatever. Use texting as a way to get to their hearts, speak into their hearts. Maybe God's going to tell you to give practical encouragement. You know what, like I've had people say where they've just felt the Spirit say that, hey, go up and tell that person they're, they're beautiful and that, God, and that God loves them. The Holy Spirit might tell you to do something like that. The Holy Spirit might tell you to give a Pentecostal handshake. What's a Pentecostal handshake? It's where you got money in it. So you kind of like, 
right? Yeah, actually, somebody gave, gave, gave me one in first service. I was like, thank, thank you, brother. <laughs> I mean, literally, it's, it's, it's where you take money. You, you, just, you, you know what? You just kind of put it in your hands, kind of, God bless you. <laughs> and you're like, oh, snap. You know, like, that's why I'm, I'm saying, like, people say, but we can be scared of the voice of the Holy Spirit because it'll challenge us to do something that may be uncomfortable. But the Holy Spirit maybe might give you what you need for someone else. And it's not always a sales pitch. It could be a voice of encouragement. It could be a meal. It, it could be, can I pray for you? Okay. Closing. Josie, come on up to the keys. We've got to close this service out. Is this helpful? Is this helping y'all? I'm praying that the Lord will just cultivate a heart of being sent in our church. We get this weight, this, this unhealthy personal pressure off, and we take on a healthy, godly burden by seeing what he sees. And then working it into our everyday normal, everyday life. Because let me tell you what, what will kill a sent culture, will kill a sent Christian, is when we compartmentalize the great, the great <laughs> commission. So here, here is the last shift. We shift from compartmentalizing to this word, integrating. Listen, my, what I'm scared of is that when you hear the great commission, all you hear is a burden. Like, oh, God, I'm already stressed, tired, angry, mad. And now i got to share my faith that I half believe in. When, when my hope is that when you hear this, some sort of purpose rises up in you. That you're like, no matter what job I have and whether I'm happy in it, no matter what my family situation, no, no matter what these outward circumstances are, I can find purpose because my purpose goes beyond all of these things and goes in, into, I'm ultimately called to share the gospel. And that this would invoke purpose into what feels like a purposeless job. Where you go and you spend 40 hours at this place and instead of enduring, you're like, I've been sent here, man. Shipyard, when I drive into the shipyard, I have been sent to build good ships. And I'm going to build good ships. But yo, Holy Spirit, who do you want me to reach out to today? Right? So you go aware. You go alert. You go sent. You, you, you go empowered knowing I'm not going by myself. The Spirit of God is with me. If we have four or 500 people to call our church home, if we all live and go sent, holy smokes, what could God do? How many movements of the Spirit could be felt weekly in our city? We have 400 people listening to the discerning voice of the Holy Spirit saying, Lord, I got a mouth ready. I got a heart ready. I got dollar bills ready. <laughs> you know, like, God, whatever you want to do, I'm here. I'm open. Who do you want me to reach out to? Are y'all seeing this? But this will not happen if we compartmentalize the Great Commission as being a part of our lives instead of being the purpose of our lives. Integrate. So look, I know y'all are busy. I know, Josh, I know you coach at Denby High, right? You coach the Denby High football team. You're going to spend a lot of time there, right? You're going to spend a lot of time around nasty, stinky high schoolers that are thinking about girls and they got hormones going all crazy. Like, like you're going to spend a lot of time there. So what I pray doesn't happen when you hear this is like, oh, I got to spread it. God. No, you say, how can I take the great commission and I'm going to be spending a lot of time in my passion coaching football being around these teenagers how can I use this passion and this call that I have to make disciples there at Denby High School 
you work at the shipyard. I said, I'm going to be spending 40, 50 hours a week at the ship, shipyard. Instead of saying, it's just whatever. No, I'm going to go there sent. I have a purpose beyond just this. And then instead of compartmentalizing the Great Commission, we realize the Great Commission is the purpose. And our job or our hobbies is the vehicle, is the mission field. Here's the thing. If you have kids that are in traveling sports, I know that can be crazy. A lot of practices, a lot of traveling to different places. If you're on a traveling team and you're going to spend a lot of time there, but the Great Commission is still your priority, guess who and what becomes the mission field? Your traveling team. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? I'm not damning or whatever you're passionate about. I'm not saying don't be passionate, passionate about things. I'm not saying don't have hobbies, don't have interests, don't have kids in sports. Don't do that. What I'm saying is, is that as you are going into those things and going into those places, have the Great Commission on the, as, as, as what is guiding you and leading you and is the current under you in those areas and in those spaces and in those places with those people. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will lead you what to say, what to give, Spirit-led discernment. Is this making sense? Y'all, my heart is to have a sent church. Not a sentence church, not a summertime church, but a sent church. My heart is to have every person that follows Jesus in this place, not trying to live a life of summertime, not going to their life sentenced, but living their life as being sent with purpose. But just know as you are sent, and this is what I'm closing with today, you don't go by yourself. You go with the Holy Spirit. He goes with you because you're thinking Holy Spirit is more than a goosebump in a service, y'all. Some of y'all only say you feel the Holy Spirit when they sing the right song in a service. You get a goosebump. The Holy Spirit is so much more than a goosebump. The Holy Spirit is the empowering spirit that Jesus gave, that Jesus fills his followers with to go and be witnesses for his name. Acts chapter 1, when the Holy when, when Jesus said, It's better for you that I go, because if I don't go, then I can't give you the whole the Holy Spirit. He, he said, but you will receive power. Everyone say power. Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. What what was he saying? The Holy Spirit's main purpose and main job is to help you be a witness. It is not a goose bump in a service. We're thankful for the feeling and power of the Holy Spirit. We feel when when we gather as the church, but even the main purpose of the Holy Spirit is not to just feel his spirit in a gathering, but it's to fill you as you go and be the church. And know he's with you. And he will help you be his witness. Even Jesus said the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. Some of you are so nervous about what to say because you only see you. What if you focus on the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say? My prayer is that we would develop such a great awareness of the Holy Spirit that we become unaware of ourselves. That we become unaware of our deficiencies, but we're focused on the Spirit's power. Jesus said this, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I want to pray over our church. Would you stand up with me? I know this was a very passionate message. <laughs> I, haven't, I, didn't, I didn't preach last week, so I had a little extra passion. <laughs> but I prayed through all this. You heard, guys, you hear my heart. We cannot be followers of Jesus that just live for summer or sentence. If we're going to live sent, we got to make some shifts, and you heard the shifts, but as know, as these shifts happen, the undercurrent, the force, the power that helps us live this shifted, sent life is the Holy Spirit. And I just want to pray over you. If, if, if this message resonates with you and you want to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit to go and be a witness, you've got people in your life that you know you want to share the gospel with, that, that you want to declare, that you want to see with God's 
eyes that, that you, like, like this is your heart's desire. Would you just right now lift, lift up, would you just right now lift up the hands as just a sign of like receiving? Because I want to pray over you just as Jesus did. He breathed and prayed over his disciples. I want to breathe and pray over our church that we would be people that receive the Holy Spirit and we leave here as the scattered church, as we've gathered here as the gathered church, that as we leave as the scattered church, there would be an infilling of the Holy Spirit to go and be a witness, to go and declare. Spirit-led discernment, purpose. Jesus, would you fill each person, our church, power of your Holy Spirit, to go and be your witnesses. I thank you for what you are doing. I thank you for the church you're building individually and corporately. That God, we are more than a Sunday. We are more than a gathering. We are more than just a place we go. We are a people you've called us to be. So God, I pray that you would bring a shift right now in minds, in hearts, and spirits. Would every word that was said, every word that was spoken, every shift that was given, would it take root in each mind, heart, soul, and spirit that, God, we would be a sent people in the name of Jesus. Would you fill your people afresh with the power of your Holy Spirit, with words to say, encouragement to give, text messages to send, dollars to hand out, encouragement. Would they attune to the voice of the Spirit? God, would they see miracles? Would they see God moments, God encounters? That all they could look back on and say, wow, only God could do that. God, build their faith. I pray they would not be so consumed with their deficiencies, but they would be consumed with your power and ability. Lord, would we have as Jesus did, let us see people the way you see them. Fill us with compassion. Let us take our calling as disciples and be disciple makers, integrating the Great Commission into our life. Lord, I thank you for the shift in our church today. I can feel a shift in the spirit. Lord, would you seal that, that we would live as sent people? In Jesus' name. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.